0: Thank you. That's the first time I've ever heard that song. Is that a wonderful message? Thank you very much. Please take your Bibles and go to First Thessalonians chapter four tonight. And I am not going to do any review at all, really mention any of the messages we've already preached as we started at the beginning of this year on Sunday nights to preach messages on the theme of the soon coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I preached a message on that this morning. I mentioned also would preach another one tonight. As next Sunday morning, we go back to the book of Ephesians because we will be serving the Lord's Supper as a part of our morning service. Once again, it will not be tacked on at the end. It will be a part of our service in the middle of all, in the midst of our singing and so forth and and preaching. We'll look at uh, Ephesians chapter 1, the subject of the fact that we've been redeemed and whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So both morning and evening tonight looking at the theme of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't think there's any way that we could preach a series of messages on this theme without going to First Thessalonians chapter four. I mean, we can't look at all the verses in the New Testament or just the epistles. I mean, we can't look at all the verses that are on the theme of the second coming of Jesus Christ. There's no way we can do that, all right? Uh, we have to pick and choose. But this passage, I I think, is a must. The only reason that I would not bring a message on this passage is because probably most of us have heard it before, but we've all heard it on the same occasion, and it's not weddings. So what does that mean? Funerals. This is a good funeral message, and I've preached on this many times in funeral services. But I thought as I read through it again, I thought, you know... We need to look at this passage, not just when somebody passes away, a believer. But we need to look at this passage for us, right now, in light of the soon return of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I want you to follow along as we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But before I think, before we read verses 13 through 18, maybe just a couple of words to introduce this passage of Scripture. There are many references to the coming again of Christ in 1 Thessalonians and also in 2 Thessalonians. And I will be preaching at least two messages from 1 and 2 Thessalonians on this theme. But as we look at these passages, obviously if we look at 1 Thessalonians and again 2 Thessalonians, it should be very obvious to us, as we said this morning, that these people were fully expecting the return of Christ in their lifetime. We'll see this in this passage tonight. I don't think there's any way that God could lead Paul to write these words as he said them and what they mean without at least including the thought that the coming of Christ was drawing nigh and they believe would be in their lifetime. So somebody says, well, uh, maybe believers in that day, they say, well, what happens if he doesn't come? And What happens if he doesn't come in our lifetime? Then what? What about our believers, our friends, our relatives, those who who die before Jesus comes back? What about them? And then how are we supposed to think about their dying when they left before the Lord even came? I believe Paul answers that question here in this passage of Scripture. He addresses that question. And the answer that he gives is really, really, really important for all of us. And as we've said, all of these messages on the second coming of Christ, they should invoke a response from us. Many different responses. I mean, I'm just working on some messages for the next couple, three weeks, and I mean there's just totally different response, results of a Christian who believes that Christ could come at any moment. This is a unique one. This is a very special one because the response that we should have from this passage is that Sorrow should give way to comfort as we think about the death of a loved one and the theme of the second coming of Jesus Christ. With that in mind, please, would you look at our text beginning at verse 13. Paul says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them or precede them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain unto the coming, excuse me, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. The response that we ha- should have as we meditate upon the coming of Christ in this passage is that our sorrow. ...should give way to true comfort. And there's a couple of places in here, of course, that really emphasize that. So why don't we start there first, please. Again, back to verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep... ...that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. I would not have you to be ignorant. Well, you know what ignorant means. Out loud, what do you think? What does ignorant mean? Good, without knowledge lacking knowledge Paul says listen there's something really important I don't want you to lack knowledge about I want you to know I want you to understand I do not want you to be ignorant about a tremendous truth that's where he starts then he says why why don't I want you to be ignorant he says it's about those who have fallen asleep I'll explain that in just a moment and he says if you understand The whole idea of somebody as a Christian dying before the return of Christ and those of of us who are here, how do we respond to that? He said, you will not sorrow as others which have no hope. Now, first of all, what ought to encourage us is the fact that this passage is for true Christians. It's for true Christians and it's about true Christians who have already passed away. How do we know that? Well, verse 13, I would not have you to be ignorant brethren. Brethren, never speaks of the unsaved. This is for Christians. Would you look at verse 14? For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which? Next three words, please. Sleep in Jesus. This is about those who sleep in Jesus. Go to verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the archangel, with a trump of God, and thee. Three words out loud, thee. dead in Christ. This is not about those who are outside of Christ. This is not about unbelievers. This is not about people who've never been saved and are still abiding under the wrath of God. This is all about people who have, who are sleeping in Christ. They're, They're dead in Christ. Now, especially for the children tonight, but maybe some adults need this also. Why does God call the death of a Christian sleep? Why does he do that? And the answer is because Dying as a Christian is really like taking a nap, uh, either a long nap or a short nap. But it's like going to sleep, but you're going to wake up. Now, how many of you can take quick naps, cat naps, and, and you're it can be short and you're good for hours? Could I see your hand? Boy, I fit in that category. Just give me a 10, 15-minute nap sometime between noon and three o'clock and I'm I'm good to go till midnight. That's just the way it is, okay? Some people, if you took a 10, 15 minute nap, you would wake up and you'd feel drowsy until midnight. Is that you? I mean you just can't do that short nap stuff. I mean, you gotta take a long nap. Long naps, I, I don't even know what they're like. I mean I, I don't know what they're like. I, I just want a, a quick one and I'm back. But whatever it, whether it's a long nap or a short nap, you're 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 going to wake up, okay? I I mentioned to you the other day, I think I mentioned on Wednesday night, I came back from someplace and I got back to church and I thought, you know, if I go in there, I have so much to do, but I I just, I really need to be awake and I'm a little tired now. So I just said, I'll take a quick nap here in the parking lot. And so I just turned off the car and I, I put my head down and I'm sure within a minute I was gone. Now I slept longer than 15 minutes until somebody knocked down my window. It was my wife. She wanted to make sure I was still alive. told her I was just doing fine, and then she drove off. And I can't believe this, but guess what I did? Would you like to guess? I conked out again. I guess I needed it. That wasn't a real short nap either. And then later on, there's a knock on my window. There's Dr. Wright seeing if I'm alive. One of the teachers was concerned about me because I was out there all slumped over in the car, you know. So, you know, we take this little nap to wake up again, okay? I'm glad they found me awake, by the way, this would not be a good message, okay? <laughs> but anyway, it wouldn't be a message at all, would it? Wouldn't be, this guy wouldn't be preaching it for sure, okay? But for children and adults, uh, God calls uh, the death of a Christian sleep because it, they're gonna wake up soon. There's gonna be resurrection time. Our bodies are gonna come back to life's like taking a nap. Uh, remember Mark chapter five, we just studied this in our Christian school as I teach Bible. Uh, Jesus is in the home of Jairus' daughter. And she has died. And he gets to the home. And he says, there's all this weeping and mourning. And he says, you know, why all this tumult? Why do you make all, all this to do? What's all this to do about? You know, and, of course, they're crying. They've got the professional warners there because, you know, the girl's dead. And Jesus said, the damsel is not dead but sleepeth. She's just taking a nap. You know what the next phrase is? And they laughed him to scorn. Why did they laugh him to scorn? Because they knew she was dead. Jesus said, no, she's not dead. She's just sleeping. And if you know the rest of the story, it wasn't long. And what did Jesus do? He raised her from the dead. In fact, would you go please to John 11? John 11. Another place in the Bible that it's really clear what is, what is meant by, by sleeping when you talk about the death of a Christian. This has to do with Lazarus. John chapter 11. Verse 3, well, verse 2, the end of the phrase, Lazarus, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sisters sent unto him Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. And after that he saith to his disciples, let us go again into Judea. And his disciples saith to him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in a day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus, next word please. Our friend Lazarus sleepeth. But I will go that I may, I may awake him out of his sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. let's not wake him up if he's sleeping. When I go to the hospital, if somebody's sleeping, I don't wake him up and see how they're doing. You they don't do that for you. they need their sleep. Get out of the room, come back another time. His disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he shall do well. Verse 12, verse 13, howbeit Jesus spake of his death But they thought that he had spoken of taking rest in sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Dead, Lazarus is dead. But for a Christian, it's only sleeping. Why? Would you look at 25 and 26? I love these verses. Jesus said unto her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth, and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Would you go back to our text tonight, please? As you're going there, let me just mention Acts chapter seven, verse 60. The last verse of Acts chapter seven, Acts chapter seven is about Stephen, his message that he preached, and then they stoned him to death, and the chapter ends by saying, "Lazarus fell asleep." We know what that means? He died. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 51 and 52, read like this. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall all be changed. Those verses are usually read at the graveside service of a believer. They need to be read and a Sunday night message in a church for all of us who are still here. It's just sleep because we're going to rise, we're going to wake again. By the way, this is not soul sleep. The soul never sleeps. The body sleeps, it takes a nap, but the soul lives on. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, remember verse 8, regarding the Christian, for to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. Philippians chapter 1, Paul said he had a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. And he wasn't talking about departing, dying, and then weeks or months or years or decades or centuries later, then he would go be with Christ. He said, no, no, I'm in, a, I'm between a rock and a hard place. Part of me wants to stay here and minister that I might be of benefit to you spiritually. But part of me wants to just... Die and go be with the Lord, for to me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. But he said, listen, if I leave, he said, I really do want to stay and minister to you. But he said, I also want to depart and I want to be with Christ. By the way, who is alive? Can't be with somebody if he's dead. I want to depart and be with Christ right away, he said, which is far, far better. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 10, regarding Jesus, it says, Who died for us, that whether we should wake or sleep, we should be together with him. Whether we're alive Christians, we're awake, or whether we actually die as a believer, we're always together with Christ. Would you go back to our text? And here's another reason that we know that this is for believers. Would you notice, please, verse 17. Then we, which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them. To what? To meet the Lord in the air. These are believers We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them, believers in Christ, to meet the Lord in the air. Would you look at verse 17 again? So shall we ever be with the Lord. And then look at verse 18. You'll see again, this is all about believers. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words because these words bring no comfort to unbelievers. And so that's the second thing I just want to mention tonight before we go to the wonderful truths that this is all based on. Wherefore, he says, comfort one another with these words. The word comfort is the the Greek word, Parakaleo, which means to call alongside. It's the same word for the Comforter in the Book of John when Jesus said, "If I go away, the Comforter; if I don't go away, the Comforter is not going to come. But if I go away, then I'll send another Comforter, the one who is called alongside to help." And that's the same word here. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. The, the idea of the idea of calling along, coming alongside someone to console them, like we do a person whose loved one or friend has gone to be with the Lord. And she was saved. He was saved. And you're saved. So we say, listen, this is not the end. You will see them again. You will be with them again. And we offer these words of comfort, these words of consolation, really based on the truth of this passage, which we're going to look at now. What are the wonderful truths that elicit this response? And if I could give a summary, it's all about the coming of Jesus Christ. I mean, their main thought again is verse 15. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive remain shall be unto the coming of the Lord. It's all about the coming of the Lord. And we believe the soon coming of the Lord. That's the summary. So why does this story, why does this message, why is this passage about the coming of the Lord? What is there about it that ought to give us joy? That ought to take away any sorrow. Just a few points to consider tonight in the time that we have. First of all, because everything spoken of in this passage is not a dream. It's just not a human hope kind of thing. It's not a chance thing. It's not a maybe-so thing. Everything in this passage is a reality, including the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the rapture of the church, The resurrection of the unbelievers, as we're going to look at in just a few moments, it is all a surety. It's a sure thing. It's a definite thing. Let there be no doubt about it. It's reality. You say, how do you know? Well, just a couple of thoughts, please. Would you look first of all at verse 14? I'll read 13 and 14 together. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Don't be ignorant about this. Christians who've died, why? So what? So that you don't sorrow even as others which have no hope. Well, what's supposed to take away the sorrow? What's supposed to give me the comfort? For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so or likewise, so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Now, we don't want to add to the scriptures, of course. But if we want to insert just maybe like a little three-word phrase in that verse... Where would you put it? What would you say? If we wanted to add three words in parentheses, where would you put it? Let's try it. You say, I don't think like you think, that's too bad. Let's just try it anyway. Look at the verse, I'll read it slowly, and when you think there'd be a good word to insert three words, just say them. If it doesn't work, we'll all agree we've gone charismatic, we're all talking in tongues here. Here we go, you ready? We're in verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. I didn't hear anything. Where I was waiting to hear something, I heard nothing. So let's try. I'll do it and see if it makes sense. Here you go. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, And he did, see it? And he did. Even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. If we believe, do you believe? Some do, some don't. If we do believe that Jesus died and rose again, and he did, let there be no doubt about it. Surely, it's a proven fact that Jesus Christ rose again after he died. Amen? If you doubt that, if you don't believe that, then I can tell you from the word of God, you're not a Christian. You have to believe in a risen Christ. A dead Jesus can't save anybody. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord who's dead shall be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ who's still dead and thou shalt be saved, No. No, you can't. There's no point calling on somebody who's dead. It's no better than calling on Abraham Lincoln or George Washington or John F. Kennedy or somebody else. A dead Jesus can't save anybody. He can't hear you. He can do nothing. He's dead. He has to be alive. And the message here is, listen, just as sure, just as surely as Jesus Christ rose again, so likewise, the Lord is coming back And Christians are going to go to be with him. And those who have already died, they're going to be resurrected. And we're all going together. Listen, it's all based on the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. So if you, by the way, Romans 10, 9 and 10. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you finish it, thou shalt be saved. I'd say the resurrection of Christ is pretty important. Amen? That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, Jesus as the Lord, and shalt believe sincerely, truly in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Now listen, that same confidence, that same trust, that same belief has to be a part of our lives when we think about life after death. What's going to happen? Or Jesus coming before I die. What's going to happen? And how do we really know it's true? It's just as true as the truth that Christ rose again, period. Got it? There's another thing here. Verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and he most surely did, even so, likewise, them also in Jesus, them also which sleep in Jesus, will God bring with him. But look at verse 15, "For this we say unto you, here it is, by the word of the Lord." You know what? I'd say that's pretty definite, wouldn't you? Why would there ever be any doubt about that? Sanctify them through thy truth. thy word is truth. The word of God, every word of God is truth from the beginning. And so Paul says, of course, God, we know, writing through Paul says, For this we say unto you, by the word of the Lord. Everything in this passage is just as certain as the word of God is true. Well, just in that one verse. For this we say unto you, by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not precede them which are asleep, because, and he gives the rest of the story. So our rapture and the resurrection of the unsaved, or excuse me, of the saved dead, is just as sure as the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, and it's just as sure as this is, the word of God. Number two. So what it is? What is it then that's certain? What is the reality according to our texts? We've already looked at this. First of all, it's the coming again of Jesus Christ, and this coming is obviously going to occur before the tribulation. It's going to occur, therefore, also before the coming again of Jesus Christ later to set up his millennial reign. Rain, this, is the, this is the rapture of the bride of Christ, the rapture of the church, the resurrection of the, of the saved. And then it's the beginning of the tribulation period. This comes first. And so God here gives us a sequence. He gives us a sequence of these things. How it all happens and happens quickly in succession. Notice the sequence. Notice what it is that happens. First of all, we have Christians who are on the earth living when Jesus returns. Now that's pretty simple. That's the first thing in in the sequence here. There will be some who will be alive when Jesus returns. It might be some of us. It might be all of us. It might be none of us that there will be Christians on planet earth when Jesus comes to take them home. That's first. What happens after that? The Lord himself, not another, descends from heaven with a shout. Let's pick it up please again at verse 15. For this was saying to you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or precede them which are asleep. For the Lord, notice please, the Lord himself. And I, every time I bring this message, I, I, I say the same thing. It's the Lord himself, not somebody else. did not just say the Lord shall descend. It's the Lord himself. He's going to come back. Who's going to come back? The one who said to his disciples, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. John 14, 1, 2, and 3. And now we read, for the Lord himself shall descend. In your mind's eye, go back to the ascension of Christ. Jesus Christ, after his resurrection, 40 days later, he ascends back to his father as he goes up. Remember the Bible says in Acts 1... Two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, not another. Here it is. This same Jesus, he says, shall so come in like manner, just like you've seen him go into heaven. He's going to come back visibly. He's going to come back physically. Just like you saw him go up, he's coming back. And our text says in verse 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. Where's he coming from? He's coming from heaven. By the way, he can't come from heaven if he's not there now. I mean, this is pretty simple stuff, folks. This is not Everything here is not new tonight. Because this is all proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's proof of the ascension of Jesus Christ. It's proof of the exaltation of Jesus Christ. And how often have you heard me say from this pulpit all the years I've been here, The Lord Jesus Christ, who died upon the cross and was buried and rose again, that Lord Jesus Christ is in heaven tonight, and he is just as alive and just as real in heaven as we are here. We have to believe that. His spirit indwells us in the person of the Holy Spirit. But he tonight is sitting at the Father's right. We talked about Stephen earlier. What did Stephen say? He said, Behold, I see the heavens open. And I see Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And that really ticked them off. Why would that tick off those people? Why would they make them so angry? Because this Jesus was a fraud in their minds. This Jesus was a deceiver. This Jesus got exactly what he deserved. He got crucified. And the thought of of him being alive and he's in heaven and now Stephen is seeing him there? Nonsense. And the Bible says when he said that, what did they do? They stopped their ears. They gnashed on him with their teeth. They stopped their ears and they ran up him in one accord. And he always, this, this whole story, it's, it's just, it's so powerful. And then he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell asleep. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven. How many times in the gospels, especially the gospel of John, Does Jesus say to individuals and to crowds, I was with the Father from all eternity because I was and am God. But I was sent here. I came from heaven. I was sent from heaven to the earth. As God in human flesh, I and my Father are one. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. But I'm the sent one of the Father. Eternal God, my eternal heavenly father sent me to this earth. But there won't, there's going to come a time when I'm going to leave planet earth and I'm going to go back. How many times did he speak about going back to his father? He said, I'm going to go back where I come from. And you can't go with me when I go. I'll come and get you later. But The Bible says the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. From heaven to fulfill the promise. And then it says, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a. There's three things here. They're all simultaneous. They're at the same time, but yet they're separate. He's going to descend from heaven with a shout. Number two, he's going to descend from heaven with a voice of the archangel. And number three, he's going to descend from heaven with a trump of God. With a shout. Well, who's going to do the shouting? We don't know. Whoever's doing the shouting, what's he going to shout? We don't know. You say, Pastor, I just thrive on these details. I want you to park here. I want to do some more thinking and talking about who it is that's going to do the shouting and what he's going to shout. We can park there as long as we want to, but when we're all done, we're all going to have to agree. Would you say it with me, please? We don't know. So let's go to the next point. With a shout. With a trump of God. You say, was it going to be Daniel Mason? And it's not going to be Daniel Mason. Well, what is this? Is this this the trumpet of God? Yeah, the trumpet of God. What's that all about? And just before that, we have the voice of the archangel. So who's the archangel? Most people would say, probably, come on, probably, Michael. You didn't say Lucifer, did you? Okay, probably Michael. Maybe Gabriel, I mean, probably Michael. We don't know if it's going to be Michael. You say, well, Michael did some other things and all. That's, That's revelation. That has nothing to do with this. Possibly Michael. Probably Michael. We can spend a lot of time there on all the possibilities, but we're going we're to have to all conclude we don't know because God doesn't say so. He just says the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the trump of God, the voice of the angel, the, the voice, the voice of the archangel. So, would you go, please, if you will, to 1 Corinthians 15 for just a moment? Because there is mention in 1 Corinthians 15, again, about this, this, the trumpet call. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's just look at three verses there. Why don't we start at verse 51? This, is, this chapter is the resurrection chapter. The whole chapter, the resurrection chapter. First part of the chapter, the reality and the importance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then what about the resurrection of God's people? How's that all going to work? How can that happen? We come down to verse 51 and we read these words. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. And we shall all be changed. The trumpet's going to sound. The dead in Christ are going to be raised incorruptible. And we, living believers, we will be changed. Why? Why does that have to happen? Because this corruptible must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. Our decaying temporal bodies uh, won't make it in heaven. We have to have new bodies. Incorruptible, immortal. It all happens after that last trumpet, the trumpet, with a shout, with a voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. Three separate but simultaneous dramatic sounds from heaven. And then what happens next? Go back to our text, 1 Corinthians 1 Thessalonians 4. So there's the shout. There's the voice of the archangel. There's the trump of God. And then we read. And the dead, end of verse 16, and the dead in Christ, those who are asleep in Christ, the dead in Christ shall rise first. They're going to be resurrected first. So how's this going to work? It's just what God says. My dad, I believe without any doubt, died as a believer. My mom, I have no doubt about the fact my mom died as a believer. If Jesus Christ returns in my lifetime, my mom and my dad will be resurrected. Say, so where are they buried? Grand Rapids, Michigan. We go up there about every other year. We try to go up every other year. And while we're there, we go by the cemetery and spend just a few moments looking at those tombstones for Harold Robert Carsey's, and Nellie Hilda Carsey's. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. I don't think their bodies in those caskets, those coffins, they, I don't think they're really pretty right now, would you agree? I have no clue what they would look like. Never have broken into a cemetery and dug one up, you know what I mean? I have no idea what's there. And they've only really been dead just a few years. What about those who've been dead for 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, 100 years? What about those who weren't buried in a cemetery? in a concrete vault, a nice coffin, they were cremated. Or they died at sea, and they're buried in the bottom of the ocean. What about the person who uh, said to his wife one time, listen, now this is an unbeliever, so it doesn't really apply, but somebody said to his wife, listen, I don't like this business about there's going to be a resurrection. God's not going to resurrect me. Because after I die, I want you to take my ashes, and I want you to I want you to go up on a plane, and I want you to sprinkle them all the way from here to California. That'll take care of that. That's not going to change anything. Would you agree? Because the skeptic comes along, and he says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wherever these dead Christians are, wherever they are, whatever the condition of their bodies, their ashes, whatever. I mean, the thought of they're all going to be resurrected and start up to heaven. Nonsense can happen. Impossible. There really really is an easy answer to that. It goes like this. The same Lord Jesus who created them from nothing, who simply spoke a word and created all things and everyone with nothing to start with. Zero to start with and just a word of the Son of God and there's life. There's a body, there's an earth, there's a universe, whatever. Could I ask you a question? How hard would it be for that God to speak a word and bring him back? Say, oh, it's crazy. It's not crazy to me. You have to believe the God of the Bible and the Bible of God. And it takes away all this stuff about, well, you know, I just can't, I can't really believe it unless I can understand it. If I can understand it, if I can explain it to my children or explain it to my friend at work, you know, if it makes sense to me, then I can go there. But if I can't understand it enough to explain it, then how do you expect me to believe it? Real simple answer, because God says it. So it comes back to do we believe the Bible is the word of God? And as we read the Bible, when we read of God in the Bible, do we choose to believe that we read in the Bible about God is true? We, we can't doubt that. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. I have no problem with that. How about you? It wouldn't matter if all the scientists would say, oh, you can't prove that scientifically. Well, were they there? I'm not trying to be sarcastic. Were they there? We were, none of us were there. So you go to Rome, so you go to Hebrews. By faith, we believe, we know that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. So we have to be a creationist by faith, by believing. And that's the same belief that leads us to believe in Christians being resurrected, all believers. Whenever they die, wherever their bodies are, whatever they're like, they get resurrected first. Verse 16, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Well, that's not the end. Then we which are alive, and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. We're going to be taken up. The word caught up, there it is, caught up. What does that mean, caught up? It means snatched up. It means literally snatched away. Snatched up, snatched away. You say, well, what do we call that? We call that the rapture. Where do we come up with the word rapture? It doesn't say rapture here. You say, I got out my Greek concordance. And I looked up rapture. I didn't find rapture there. I, didn't find, I don't find rapture in the whole Bible. I mean, you know, not as far as anything like this. So where do we get this idea of rapture? The word rapture, the English word, comes from the Latin word rapturo. R-A-P-T-U-R-O. raptuor. That's Latin. It's not Greek. It's Latin. And from that Latin word rapturo, we get our English word rapture. And that Latin word, I took two years of Latin in high school, I, excuse me, a whole year of Latin in high school, and I never—I learned so much in that class. Public high school taking Latin, that was interesting. As I told you, from a lady who was, uh, my teacher had been divorced five times and was married to someone she thought was a cheapskate. It was an interesting class, okay? But I learned a lot, and I didn't, I'm sure she didn't talk about this, but raptuo, from where we get our word rapture, which means to snatch away, to catch away. Reminds me of what Jesus said in John chapter 10. He said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. And I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone pluck them out of my hand. What does that mean? Same word. Same Greek word. No one is going to snatch us out. You say, does that mean you can't lose your salvation? That's exactly what it means. My sheep hear my voice, Jesus said. They are my sheep, and they hear my voice. And I give my sheep eternal life. And let me tell you something about my sheep. They will never perish. Neither will anybody ever snatch them, pluck them out of my hand. It's not going to happen. Same word. And then he says this. If that's not enough, next verse he says, and no man shall pluck them out of, can you finish it? My father's hand. Is that eternal security? We are safe in the hand of Jesus Christ, we are safe in the hand of God the Father. And Jesus said, nobody is going to snatch us out of their hands. If that's not eternal salvation, I don't know what there is. And we ought to thank God for that. And we ought to live accordingly. You say, well, that just makes people want to just go do what they want to do and live in sin. Not if you're really saved, it doesn't. It makes you want to live a life of gratitude and appreciation for a Jesus Christ who would come to earth and, and died to say, He said in the same chapter, no man taketh my life from me, but I lay it down to myself. I have power both to lay it down and I have power to take it again. Don't ever forget this. Jesus Christ died voluntarily. He could have come down from that cross if he wanted to and killed everybody who had anything to do with it. Amen? But He chose to die in our place. And then he saves us and he says, now you are so secure. You're held in my hand. You're held in my father's hand. And nobody's going to rapture you out. Nobody's going to snatch you out. Nobody's going to take you out. What's a wonderful truth. It's a great truth. And then we're almost done. Then we which are alive, 17. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. So the dead in Christ, they're going first, but we're catching up. Now, if you try to visualize this, you run into a little problem. What's the problem? Our finite mans can't quite grasp this. Because this all happens faster than we can ever imagine. It's not like you hear this sound and so, what was that sound? What was that sound? Was that sound? Remember, Leora, you sang this one time. You sang this, remember? The trumpet what was that song about... The sound of the trumpet. Listen for the tr- listen for the sound of the trumpet. And somebody says, "You know, we should sing that." Somebody should be in a baptistry. And as soon as she sings, "Listen for the trumpet," Jesus is coming. I said, like, "Ta-da!" I say, "No, we're not doing that. Okay, we're not doing that. We don't, we don't have that kind of church here. Okay, we're not that dramatic with things." But somebody says, "Well, that's how it's going to be one day. We're going to be doing our thing, and all of a sudden it's like this: this trumpet's going to sound, this loud voice is going to shout something. You know." And it's like, oh, boy, what's happening now? And all of a sudden, he's like, who? Who are these people going by us? Hey, I think that's my dad. That's my sister there, okay? Well, and then we're going to be changed, and we're just all going to go to heaven. And we're just going there, and it's going to take like a half an hour or so. Uh, I, we can't imagine how this is going to happen, but would you agree it's going to happen? I don't even like to say this lightning fast. Amen? No amens on that? That's the way it's going to happen. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven. With a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. I love this. To meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we together, so shall we ever be with the Lord. By the way, Paul doesn't seem to dwell here on the fact, where are we going? Heaven. What's it going to be like? Better than anything we can imagine. There's no dwelling on that. Because the place, heaven, and what it will be like is nothing in comparison with the fact that wherever we are, whatever it's like, we will be with the Lord. That's got to be the greatest thing of all. And by the way, and I close with this, if you don't see the doctrine of the eminent at any moment return of Christ in this passage, I I can't help you. Because Paul says, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him. Paul fully expected that he and others in this Thessalonian church would not be as those who had already died, their Christian friends that we shouldn't be sorrowing about. He fully expected that there would be some Maybe he himself, we which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them. Then look how this wonderful passage ends. We've already mentioned it. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Where did we start? I would not have you be ignorant, brother, without knowledge concerning those who are asleep. That you sorrow not. Do not sorrow as those who have no hope. And he ends with, wherefore, comfort one another, and listen now, with these words. What words? The words we preached on tonight. The word of the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 4, 30 to So you have a loving with Christ? Who is she? Who is he? Who are they? They were saved? You're saved? You can take this passage of scripture and say, just as sure as Christ rose again, and just as sure as the Bible is the word of God, we will be back together again soon, and you can say, even so, come Lord Jesus. I think the issue is, are we ready? By your heads, please, if you will. It's a life-changing doctrine. Prophecy, the return of Christ, it's not just a bunch of facts to learn, be an expert in prophecy. Got all the details down about the coming of Christ. No, the fact is, it's supposed to change our lives. It's supposed to bring results. And the one in our text tonight is, so long, sorrow. Goodbye, grief. Hello, comfort. Consolation and the joy that that brings. Father, we thank you for your word. Help us never to forget it. Remind us of it when we need it the most. And especially, Father, may it be life-changing, whatever time we have here, in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand, please, tonight?